check. We are in week five, actually, and week five is Journey Through the Wall. There's been a lot of information that we've given to you guys over the last few weeks. There's been a lot of stuff in the EHS course, a lot of, a lot of material, a lot of concepts, a lot of different things. Those of you who are new with us and haven't been here, I encourage you, go back on our website, christiancenter.me, and begin to listen to those messages in this series. Uh, there, are, there are four messages before this, and it all has to do with emotionally healthy spirituality. And the concept of emotionally healthy spirituality is it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And all of us can, can reference and know somebody in our lives that is the height of spiritualism, but they're the biggest jerk on the planet, amen? We all know those people, and they're, they're hard to be around. They're cactus Christians. You can't get close, because if you do, you're gonna have something jump out at you. And so the idea is for us to begin to realize that to become emotionally healthy, there's a connection between our contemplative spirituality, that is our time with God, right, and emotional health. So learning the concepts of emotional health, but then letting God breathe into it. Because there are many people in the world who are emotionally healthy, but they don't know Jesus. So we're not saying one or the other, we're saying both. Both end. But there's a couple things I want to say to you before we get started on the journey through the wall. And the first one is this. You have permission. Are you there? You have permission to not be burdened by all of the concepts and the material that we're working through on EHS. In other words, you have another four weeks coming, and you've had four weeks already, and there's so many different things that we're learning. If one or two of those things take hold, you win. So, so every week you're hearing another thing and you're like, oh my gosh, it's another huge revelation. Oh Lord, what am I gonna do? Give yourself grace. That is what we teach here. We teach grace in all things. So please don't feel like, oh, well, there's another thing that, I don't, that I'm not good at or that I don't have, I don't have that. And then you walk away at the end of VHS feeling like a failure because there's so many things that you can't do or you haven't learned to do. Grab a hold of one or two things and make them yours. Pete Scazzaro, the author of the material, the author of the book that we're reading, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says it like this. Remember, God's purpose for us is to have a loving union with him at the end of the journey. Do you think I need new batteries? All right. Remember, God's purpose for us is to have a loving union with him at the end of this journey. So think about that as I change battery. relationships with him and with others and that is the reason why relationships is the primary point of attack in all of our lives right think about it 
Where's the number one place that God attacks you as an individual or you as a family or us as a church? It's in relationships. Because the enemy knows that if we're hitting all cylinders on relationships, there's nothing we can't do as individuals. The staff went through a book recently called The Power of the Other by Dr. Henry Cloud, Christian psychologist, and he talked about four corner fourth corner relationships, those relationships where you get every one of your needs met and you focus on those relationships, obviously except for with God, but you get all those relations, all those needs that you need from those people. And corner one and corner two relationships are those that, man, you might want to avoid because they bring you down. So, but God's purpose is to be in relationship with you. If you remember from the beginning, when God was getting ready to give the Ten Commandments, what he said to Moses, bring the people as close to me as you can. He knew there was a barrier that if they crossed, they would be in his holiness and they would die, but he wanted them as close as he could get them because God's plan has always been to be as close to you as he can possibly be. Now, if you just walk out of here with that, that God wants to be close to you, regardless of what you've done, regardless of who you are, regardless of the words you spoke just yesterday or the things you did, you win. So here we go, right out of the gate. God said this in the 10 commandments. What was the first commandment? Don't have any gods before me. So right out of the gate, he's saying, this is the most important thing. Don't put anything in your life that would elevate itself to that of a place higher than me. That is my number one thing that I want you to walk away with, God is saying. Don't put anything else in the position that I alone should be. Matthew 6, verse 24 in the ESV says it like this. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. For he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And, and in the original language, money is translated as either money or possessions or, you know, something that was, was something that was, you know, financial or something that you owned. So Jesus here is picking on money. He's picking on money. How many get uncomfortable when Jesus picks on money? But you can substitute anything for what he's saying here. Security. I just want to be secure. I just want to have enough to where I can feel secure in my relationships and in my finances. Uh, you can substitute relationships. Relationships with your children. Relationships with your spouse. I have a daughter. I have two sons. My daughter almost moved away like my sons did, those ungrateful little men. <laughs> and the thought of my daughter moving away just to the core. She signed a two-year lease in Boulder City, praise the Lord. <laughs> you can substitute job or career. You place in your job or your career above your relationship with God. You see, none, none of these things are bad. Not, none of these things are intrinsically bad in and of themselves. But when you replace that thing 
with your relationship with God, they become toxic. They become toxic. So, and I have it in bold here, so I don't miss it. So, when you just refuse to get it, when you just don't get it and refuse to see that you have placed something in a position over God, whatever it is, other than him, God may allow a crisis in your life in order to get your attention. And in today's context, we call that the wall. We will be learning how to take our journey through the wall today. The subtext is giving up power and control. Letting go of power and control. So you've heard this said, right? This too shall pass, or it came to pass. So the question I have for you today is it's going to pass, right? Either way, it's going to pass. At some point, whether it passes when you die or it passes tomorrow, it's going to pass. So the question is, do we let it pass us like some impatient person on 95 in the fast lane? Or do we let it pass like a kidney stone? Because you can let it pass either way. It's up to you. What the wall is not. I want to make sure that we understand what the wall is not. The wall is not an inconvenience, a small frustration. The wall is not the line at Starbucks, eight people deep. That's not the wall. That's a frustration, right? <clears throat> that is not a wall. The wall is not a small frustration or a bothersome time or a time-consuming issue. It's not the wall. What the wall is, the wall is a crisis that is seemingly insurmountable. Can anyone identify with a crisis in your life that is seemingly insurmountable? You can lift your hand if you want. So what do we do? Most people, now this is, this is gonna be hard to hear. Most people, most people who say they love God spend their entire life standing at the wall. They know that God loves them. They know that they love God. But they've just said, this is my life. This is my lot in life. This is what God has for me. And I'll just be sorrowful and stand here at the wall until the Lord comes and takes me. So what do we do? We begin to blame ourselves, right? How many have said these words? What have I done? What did I do to deserve this? Or maybe you think of something that you've done. Okay, God, I made that mistake, and so therefore this is my punishment. I'll remain at the wall. It's what you have for me. We begin to blame God. I thought God was kind and loving. Why am I suffering? We begin to blame the church. We say things like, I've been so faithful. 
Why are they doing this to me? Or why, why am I not in this position or that position? I've done so many good things. Why am I not elevated? Your foundation is literally shaken. Often you have more questions than answers. And the big one is, how long will this last? Some examples of a wall may be a relationship implosion. You've been married for a long time. Never thought the D word would ever, ever be mentioned. And that now you're in the middle of it. And you're looking at it and you're devastated. What? What now? Maybe a moral failure. Maybe something that you did that you feel like God can't forgive you for. And so you, you're stuck. A vocational catastrophe. You've been working the same job for years and then you're downsized. That was your security. That was your life. That was what you had planned to do. And now it's gone. Or maybe a diagnosis or a confirmation of a sickness. And you say, God, why me? Why do I have that? Almost always at the wall, there is a crisis of belief. And that crisis of belief manifests itself as my will versus God's will. And that's where we come to the subtext of letting go of power and control. God will always ask you to let go. What we teach here at Christian Center is this. Everybody put your hands out like this, if you would. Please um, honor me in this. We live here at Christian Center with open hands. If God brings us a blessing and chooses to set it on our hands, we're grateful. But if that blessing hits our hands and bounces off or flows through, we're grateful. The worst thing we can do is to live like this. When we live like this, we're not open for blessing. We're holding on to what we had. God will always ask you to let go. And so Abraham had a wall. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible. And we're going to be uh, continuing on in Genesis 22. But before we get there, I want to briefly talk about a wall that Abraham hit. Abraham hit a wall when God came to him and said, you will bear a son. I'm old. My wife is old. Are you kidding me? And that, that son, God said, will be the start of a great nation. And, and you will be the head of a nation that is greater than the stars in the heavens. You, you, it's going to number more than the stars. And so time went by and there was no sun and then Abraham did exactly what we do, right? He did what we're so good at. We say, okay, God said that, so now I gotta figure out how to do it. How to manipulate, how to finagle, 
how to line up circumstances just right because after all, God needs my help. And so Abraham listened to his wife when she said, why don't you go ahead and lay with my maidservant and produce a son? And that's exactly what happened. And God said, no. God said, no. That is not what I wanted you to do. He took matters into his own hands. And so God said, I want you to have a son with your wife, Sarah. And so they did. And many years passed. The promise had come, right? The promise had come. Okay, we made a mistake. We kind of went sideways. We're figuring out how to work through that. And now the promise is here. The promise has come. We have Isaac, and things are great. Woo! I'm glad we're past that. And then Isaac became a teenager. And Isaac became the center of Abraham's attention. In verse, chapter 22, verse 1 says this, after these things, God tested Abraham. In another version, it says, after some time had passed, God tested Abraham. And he said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I am here, he said. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. What? What? How many would think that that would be a wall for Abraham? The son that you told me I would have, and now I've had him, and he's been around for a couple, 15 years. He's a teenager. He's growing up in the Lord, and he's doing amazing things, and he's going to be the one who takes over after me, and, and what? So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to the father, said to Abraham, my father, here I am, my son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they both of them went together. And as Abraham was about to follow through with what God asked him to do, an angel of the Lord stopped him. Our God is not into human sacrifice. So please do not read the, those verses and think that our God is some sick, twisted God who wants you to sacrifice your child. He doesn't. But God will not have anything before him. God will not have any other thing, person, situation, circumstance, anything. It is in your life that is an exalted place over God. He won't. I hit a wall. I came here in 1997. This is going to be very difficult for me to share, so please be patient with me. I came here in 1997. Somewhere around 1999, I got a call from the district leadership, and they said, 
Kevin, you're doing a great job out there in Boulder City. Youth group's awesome. Proud of you. We want you to come pastor in Yucaipa, California. We have a church opening up. We want you to come and pastor there. And I said, what? Well, I'm confused because I haven't heard the Lord say that. And the district leader said these words. I'll never forget them. I've never been wrong about this. So really pray. I said, okay. Brendan and I drove, got a look at the place, didn't feel anything. Drove home, sat down with Pastor Kitchell, who was our pastor for 48 years, 30-something at the time, I think. Told her, because we wanted to seek wise counsel. And Marjorie Kitchell said these words to me. Well, I thought it would be good if you took over for me someday. So I don't know that that's the Lord. Blindsided me. I was overwhelmed. I'd only been in youth ministry for two and a half years. People are looking to me to be a senior pastor. Really? What? So we began to pray earnestly about what that would look like. I felt like the Lord confirmed it in my heart about a year later. We weren't even here anymore. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, you will be the senior pastor at Christian Center. <laughs> so when we had an opportunity to come back, we took it. And those of you who don't know the story, we didn't become senior pastors in 2004. We were mad. We were angry. We were frustrated. For whatever reason, it didn't happen. And we were mad at God. We were mad at ourselves. What did we do wrong? Are we not hearing from the Lord? How many have heard these words? Did God really say that? You know, that's the first thing that the enemy said in the garden to tempt. Did God really say that? So when you hear that, recognize that phrase. Did God really say that? And Brenda and I and our family went on a 10-year journey at the wall. We journeyed all around the country, but we were sitting at the wall. I don't even know. Make a long story short, we were coming back to Boulder City because my father, who's not here today, the little sinner, <laughs> who's here every Sunday. My father wasn't doing well. He was having some health issues. And I was part of a company that needed me to travel quite a bit. So we thought, well, let's go back to Boulder City and help my dad. Our time in ministry was done in Durango. And we didn't have any prospects of ministry. We, we thought we had done so many things wrong and God was never going to place us in ministry again and, and we were okay with that. But I still had in my heart what the Lord said to me in 1999. So I called our dear pastor. I said, we're coming back. Oh, good. Will you preach now and again? Absolutely. I said, did, did God ever say 
to you that he wanted me to fill your shoes when you're done. And these words hit me like a ton of bricks at the wall. No, no, he never said that. If anybody, my son will come and take over the church. Okay. I hung up the phone and I sat in my car and I cried like a baby. For about 20 minutes because I had not heard the voice of God, I thought. The enemy said, I, I never said that, or God never said that. You were wrong. You made it up. And that day, my wife and I prayed, and we released it. We said, God, we release it. He said, finally. Finally, you've released it. And we did. We released it. We rolled in here almost four years, or a little over four years ago with no agenda, nothing on our mind, but making a company succeed and loving people and getting to preach once in a while at the church that we loved. And then we got a phone call from district leadership. It was right after Pastor Jim passed away. Our divisional leadership said, we want you to go pastor down in Vegas. We have a church for you once again. We went, and we didn't feel like the Lord was calling us to it. We didn't feel a connection. We said, it's just not right. So here, another ministry opportunity opened up, and we're like, we just don't feel like that's, that's God. And then I got a phone call from the district supervisor. It was Kimberly Dearman, and she said, I want you to wait. What do you mean? I don't want you to take that church, but you can take it if you want. But I don't feel like it's the right move. I want you to wait. I want you to wait in Boulder City. No one had ever said that to us before. It wasn't until we let go of the thing that we had exalted above God that God began to move in the way that he spoke. A good thing became the main thing for me. Isaac, a good thing, had become the main thing for Abraham. What good thing in your life have you made the main thing? God will not have it. God wants to be the main thing. So lessons we learn at the wall. Number one, God is present at the wall. Abraham knew it as he walked up. God had asked Abraham to sacrifice his, sacrifice his son and he knew because what did he say? God will provide. And so knowing God would provide, he started creating, making firewood, right? Started gathering things up. God will provide. God is present at the wall. Number two, God provides at the wall. Number three, God, three, God always has plans beyond the wall. He always has plans beyond the wall. And number four, God uses the wall so we will remember how he provides and fulfills his promises. Because just like Abraham, you will hit another wall. And just like Abraham, you have the opportunity to go through that wall knowing 
that God will provide. When Abraham was corrected and God provided the way that he said he was going to provide, it did something in Abraham. And he realized that when God said something, he meant it. And when God said that he was going to provide for him on that mountain, he knew he was going to provide. So what did Abraham do? He chopped firewood. He gathered up the things that he needed. And he marched three days up Mount Moriah. Because he knew it didn't matter. God will provide up there. And if he doesn't, I'll listen to him and I'll do what he tells me to do. So on the other side, for me, of the wall, there's been struggles. On the other side of the wall of pastoring this church, there's been new walls. There's been new struggles. There's been new frustrations. But I am chopping firewood. And I am marching up Mount Moriah. And when we get to the top, God will provide. Because he always does. God is asking you to trust him. What is the wall for you? Some of you may be in the wall or at the wall right now. Some of you may have been at the wall for 20 years. God is calling you through the wall, saying, trust me, there is life on the other side. And it's life abundant. How many with maybe not boldness, but a desire to see God move would lift your hand and say, I'm at the wall. Anyone? Anyone? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for these who have been bold enough to admit that they are at the wall. God, I pray that your presence would call them through. Lord, that they would release and live with open hands and journey through the wall this morning knowing that you were on the other side and that you will provide and you will take care of all of it. Lord, I pray for the individual who hasn't been able to forgive. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that they would forgive in this moment the hurts that have been done to them. Not to go back into toxic relationship, but to release in their heart. I forgive. Lord, for those who are dealing with illness or sickness right now, Lord, I pray that your grace would be enough. Lord, for those who have had damage to their relationships, I know there's a lot of relationships that are damaged in our church. Begin to heal those relationships in our own hearts, Lord God, and help us to release them in Jesus' name. Maybe your wall is a crisis of unbelief because you've lived your whole life wondering how a kind and loving God could ever allow the suffering that goes on in this world. Maybe your wall is a wall that's keeping you from faith in Jesus. And God says, 
This is a world that's filled with awful things. But if you put your trust in me, I will show you something you've never seen before. So Lord, all over this room, I ask that you would break down the wall. Father, just like the Hebrew people marching around Jericho, knowing that you were the one who would bring the victory, that nothing they could do could bring the victory other than listening and obeying you. Lord, and as they obeyed you, the walls came crumbling down. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that walls would come crumbling down all over this room. Lord, the crisis of unbelief would come crumbling down. The crisis of faith because of sickness or unforgiveness or whatever it may be would come crumbling down right now in the name of Jesus. And people would receive what they need from you. And they would walk forward into the promise and ready for the next hurdle or wall. Because, Lord, you've said in this world we will have trouble, but you have overcome, and we rest in that. So, Jesus, we thank you for the wall, and we thank you for victory. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. If God is for you, who can be against you? If God is on your side, whom shall you fear? May you be like a tree that's planted by rivers of living water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf will not wither. And whatsoever you do, say it if you know it, it shall prosper. Congratulations, you're on the other side of the wall. God bless you. Have the best week ever.